Welcome to the Followers of the Way podcast for January 5th, 2020. Today, Brother Omar brings us a message called Doctrine of the Church, Charismatic Gifts, Gift of Prophecy. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. This was Paul's instruction to the Corinthians, but what does it mean to prophesy? How is this gift supposed to operate today? Join us as we continue our study of the charismatic gifts here on Followers of the Way. As you guys know, we're talking about the charismatic gifts, right? On the gifts of the Spirit. And we have been speaking about speaking in tongues or the gift of tongues and other issues relating to the history of the charismatic church and Pentecostalism and all that. So the last time that we went through this, uh, we went through 1 Corinthians chapter 12 through 14, because that's where the Apostle Paul spent some time talking about the charismatic gifts, the gifts of the Spirit, the miraculous gifts, and some of the issues that were happening in the church at Corinth. Okay, so there were some issues, there were some abuses, that were happening at the church in Corinth. So Paul writes to correct many of those issues, and one of the most prominent problems they were having was the issue of how they were practicing the gifts. Okay, So some background on Corinth. Uh, The church at Corinth was predominantly Gentile. Okay, Paul points this out or hints at that a couple of times throughout the letter. Now, when we say... You know, today, like if I say to you, such and such is an unbeliever, it's, there's a different connotation that we get than somebody who was not a believer in the days of Paul. For example, if you came from an unbelieving background in the days of Paul, and you were a Gentile, you were completely ignorant of any biblical narrative, right? You didn't know who Moses was. You never heard of such thing. You didn't know who... Adam and Eve was. You never knew who any of those stories, you know, like if you walk anywhere today and you look at somebody who is an atheist and you tell them about Jesus, they've heard about that before. They've heard about Moses. They've heard about the Old Testament. Well, if you did that in the days of Paul, they would just look at you with a blank stare because these were things that were completely unknown to anybody outside of Israel. So when, when the Bible speaks of a church being Gentile, these people are starting from a blank slate. They didn't have anything prior to getting saved. Now, there were some Gentiles, right, that were quote-unquote believers or God-fearers, and these were Gentiles who have learned about Israel, learned about the Old Testament, learned about the law, and they have become believers. So we got examples of that in the Bible, like Cornelius, he was a Gentile. I believe the Ethiopian also was like an unbelieving Gentile, or a believing Gentile, but the vast majority of the Gentile world was completely ignorant of anything that had to do with the Bible, all right? So today, for example, the reason why you can go just about anywhere in the world especially in the Western world, and talk about anything relating to the Bible. Like you go to Europe, you go to the United States, you go to Latin America. Um, People have an idea what you're talking about. And that's because we've had 2,000 years of Christian witness carried all the way down to our day. But when this whole thing started, it was absolutely no knowledge, okay? 
So the church at Corinth comes from that absolute background. Now, a little bit about Corinth, the city itself. One of the things about Corinth is that the location where, where Corinth was located, it was located in Greece, right? But it was located in such a place that it was almost like a small sliver of land and you have two oceans on each side. And so Corinth was kind of like the dividing line between the east and the west. So on this side of Corinth, you got the eastern part of the empire and all the way to the Orient, you got India and you got all of that. And then on this side, you got the western part of the empire, you got Europe and you got all of that. And then to the south, you have the Mediterranean Sea. So you get people from all over the place going to the city because it was sort of like, think of it as the Panama Canal back in the days, right? So you could either sail all the way around down to Argentina and come all the way back up, or you can go through the Panama Canal and you cut straight you know, through it and you come to the other side. Now Corinth didn't have a canal. People couldn't big build canals like that back in the days. So it was just too much. They tried actually and they'll just send some people to dig and dig and then they'll drown. Well, oh, I guess that didn't work. Do we have 200 more? Send them up, oh, they drown too. We can't do this, right? So what they did is actually pretty interesting. They build a trench and all the way, it was like a road, all the way to the other side. The boats would actually come up, right, to the coast, to the shore. They would put them, you know, they would just drag them all the way up. They would put them in these carts and they would literally haul the boats all the way across to the other side. And at the other side, they would pack up whatever, you know, they'll transport all their goods or whatever. They'll pack them back up and they send them away. And then they will come all the way back. They'll get the next boat and they'll do that day in and day out every day. And that's how they manage to get people from one side of the empire to the other, okay? So the city, because of this, because it was the way to cut across from east to west, had peoples from all over the world who come to Corinth and stay and, you know, whatever. You know, it, it became sort of like a popular spot. It was known, which is very funny, given that this is the Roman Empire, it was known as a very sinful place in a very sinful empire, okay? It was known as the place, the Las Vegas, all the bad stuff happened there. So... You know, it was also known for the pagan worship. Now, the way the cities worked in those days is each city had its own goddess or god or deity that everybody worshipped. All right. In Corinth, and I thought this was interesting, the main cult of worship was the goddess Aphrodite. Okay. So they had a big temple dedicated to Aphrodite. So I looked up in Wikipedia, and it says that the goddess Aphrodite was an ancient Greek goddess associated with love, beauty, pleasure, passion, and procreation. She is identified with the planet Venus, which is named after the Roman goddess Venus, with whom Aphrodite was extensively syncretized. So you have Aphrodite is the Greek goddess, Venus, is the Roman goddess, which are pretty much the same, all right? Okay, it gets better. The cult of Aphrodite was largely derived from that of the Phoenician goddess 
Astarte. A cognate of the East Semitic goddess Ishtar, whose cult was based on the Sumerian cult of Inanna. So you have the exact same idol, right, being tracked all the way back down to Egypt. But it was kind of like a reiteration of the same, pretty much, idol coming back over and over again, looking differently, but it's the same idol. So Aphrodite's main cult centers were Cythera, Cyprus, Athens, and Corinth. She is typically represented as a beautiful and sensuous woman. So what I find interestingly, I mean, what I find interesting is as I was looking this up, I took a break. I was prepping my sermon. So I went online to look at the news or whatever. And this is a Spanish news agency called EFE. So it's kind of like uh, Reuters, Associated Press, that type of thing. So there was an article, right, that I found. This is, I didn't look for this. This just showed up, all right? Reporting from Havana, Cuba. High priests from the religion of Yoruba, which is Santeria, in case you were wondering, warn against the moral decay in Cuba due to corruption, delinquency, and among other things, infidelity. So the Santeros are worried that there's a lot of ungodliness happening. Okay. The article goes on to describe some of their beliefs. Okay. In Cuban Santeria, Ochun, which is their, one of their goddesses, syncretizes with the Virgin of Charity, the patroness of Cuba and the Catholic religion. According to his history, she is the owner of love and the fresh waters of the world, personifying love, fertility, intensity of feeling, and spirituality. She is syncretized with Ochun. Ochun is a divinity who is also the queen of sensuality, pleasure, femininity, is represented as a beautiful mulata, pleasant, sensual, a good dancer, voluptuous, festive, and eternally cheerful. This is the exact same idol, right? This is the, the Afro-Cuban style of the exact same idol that was worshipped in Corinth, right? So this is the same iteration of the same idol worship being carried all the way down to our day. So this is why I tell you all this. The Santeros, they wrote, they released something called the Letter of the Year, which they, where they give you sort of their prophetic predictions of what's going to be happening during the year. Okay, so this is what the article says. The letter presented this Thursday to the press warns of serious neurological diseases, sexually transmitted infections, liver disease due to increase in alcohol consumption, congenital malformations, and the proliferations of epidemics due to poor hygiene and social indiscipline. Thank you, Google Translate, for helping me translate this. The article goes on to say, the letter of the Oracle of Afro-Cuban religions also predict an increase in the rate of robberies, embezzlement, and violence, as well as an increase in the use of narcotic drugs. Another of the events of social interest predicted are the breaking of the traditional Cuban family because of promiscuity, lack of authority, and the loss of value. So this is what they're prophesying is gonna be happening in Cuba. So Cuba is gonna have a rough year, apparently. So there's going to be robberies. Who could have predicted that, right? People are gonna be stealing in Cuba. People are apparently gonna be doing drugs. Apparently they're gonna be drinking also. So they gave their prophetic predictions for the new year, okay? And this is what's gonna be happening in Cuba. Now, the reason why I bring this up 
is because we're going to start today our study in the gift of prophecy. And I want to show you how, contrary to speaking in tongues, the idea that people can see the future has been around forever and is constantly practiced by high priests of the religion of Yoruba, uh, psychics, uh, you name them, you turn on your TV and every year you have people giving you the predictions of the things that they believe, they see, they sense, they speak to somebody, they have been told, that are going to be happening during that year and whatnot. So what we're going to do is that we want to look at scripture and see how is the gift of prophecy used in the Bible. What does the Bible teach about the gift of prophecy and what is a prophet? So, just a little recap in the 14th chapter of Corinthians, if you want to go there. The Apostle Paul, if you remember last time, the Apostle Paul was, was constantly giving this contrast between prophecy and tongues in chapter 14. This is what he says, Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding, encouragement, and consolation. So, Paul emphasizes through the whole chapter the importance that it is for the church to seek to prophesy. He places an emphasis on prophesy. He commands them to seek to prophesy. So Paul is going to point out in the chapter that the importance of when Christians get together and they gather together, the important is to communicate in a way that people can understand. Paul says that if you speak in an unknown language or an unknown tongue where nobody understands in a manner that people do not understand, Paul says that it's fruitless, that doesn't yield anything. In fact, if you keep on reading, he says, the one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more that you prophesy. The one who prophesies, he says, is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. The point that he's driving constantly is, it is, makes no sense for anybody to speak in a way, in a matter that nobody understands, right? It is a waste of time. He goes as far to say that the one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in a tongue, unless somebody interprets the tongue, so that way people could understand what is being said. And so, which implies that to prophesy is to speak in a known, understandable way that people could understand, okay? So prophecy has to do with that. He goes on to say, now brothers, verse six, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? Even lifeless instruments such as the flute and the harp do not give distinct notes. How will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourself, 
If with your tongue you utter a speech that is not intelligible, how will anybody know what is being said? You will be speaking into the air. Paul, like I told you in the old times, people would say the same thing over and over again in different ways to emphasize. That's exactly what Paul is doing. Paul is driving this home and saying, when you gather together and when you speak, it is very important that everything you do is gears towards communicating or prophesying so that people can understand what is being said and therefore be built up. So prophecy is meant to build up. Okay? So, continue. Paul ends by saying in 1 Corinthians 14.39, he says, So my brothers... Earnestly desire to prophesy, do not forbid speaking in tongues. Now, the reason he says that, because if you remember, if you go back, he was regulating the way tongues were to happen in the church at Corinth. Now, you know that I believe that the Bible teaches that speaking with tongues was speaking known languages. Okay? Irregardless of your position, Paul does a pretty good job in regulating this gift. And he says, if you're speaking tongue, somebody has to interpret. You get three shots. After that, we'll see you next Sunday. Nobody else speaks in tongues, number one. Number two, if you speak in tongues and nobody's there to interpret this, then you, you, you shut up, you sit down, we'll see you next Sunday. Hopefully, there'll be somebody who will interpret for you. If not, then you don't do it next Sunday. So Paul is really limiting this gift and emphasizing the other gift, all right? And so it is important, the church, together as a collective group, that we emphasize prophesying in our church gathering. So the question, therefore, is what is biblical prophecy? What is to prophesy in the Bible? What does that mean, okay? Now, the word for prophet in the Greek is prophetes, which means to speak forth. That's what the word means. The same thing goes for the Old Testament. A prophet, the word is navi, and it means to declare or to announce. The idea is that someone is a spokesman for another. They receive the message and they simply go and they declare the message that they have received. So the prophet is the middleman. He delivers. He's the spokesperson. Okay? Now we see this Exodus chapter 7. Exodus chapter 7, verse 1. Okay? The story here is God is telling Moses, Moses, I want you to go. I want you to tell Pharaoh to let my people go, to do all these things. Joseph was like, I can't do that. I can't talk properly. I'm not good at this. You picked the wrong guy. I don't want to do it, etc. So God says to him, the Lord says to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron will be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of the land. So God tells Moses, you can't speak, I got you covered. I'm going to tell you what to say. Then Aaron, your brother, is going to be your prophet. So you're going to be like God to Pharaoh. And then Aaron is going to be like your prophet. And he's going to tell 
Pharaoh what you tell him. He's going to be your spokesman because Aaron apparently could talk good. Okay, so the prophet is the spokesman, right, that repeats or has a message that he has received to somebody else and he delivers that message forward. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 4, says this. Now the, Lord, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, oh, Lord, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I'm only a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I'm only a youth. For to all to whom I send you, you shall go, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. So Jeremiah is called out from his mother's womb to be a prophet, and God tells him that you're going to go wherever I send you, and you're going to say whatever I command you. And then God touched his mouth and put his words onto his mouth, and Jeremiah became a prophet. He had the word of God in his mouth and a command from God to go and tell people whatever God was telling him. Okay? So the Old Testament prophets were men chosen by God to set aside and, and give the word of God or to deliver God's word forward. They were spokesmen for God, like Aaron was for Moses, and Moses himself was a spokesman for God. Here's a quote by um, John MacArthur. This is how he defines this. Prophecy is always presented as the infallible, authoritative declaration of God's inerrant revelation. It was not an impression on the mind, whether clear or vague, but a verbal declaration using words the prophet vocalized audibly or wrote legibly in the presence of others who could hear or read them. Scripture never uses the terminology of prophecy to speak of mystical, intuitive impressions. There was no prophet in the Bible who stood up and says, I see the letter M, the letter M, the letter M. Maria, is there a Maria here? There's got to be a Maria. If you're in a Spanish church, there's going to be a Maria somewhere. That's not a gift, right? I can do this, right? And so you never see prophecy presented that way in the Bible. They spoke clear commands from God very clearly authoritatively, because it was God speaking through them, and there was no variations, no intuitions, no, you know, feeling out anything. It was boom, boom, it's done, okay? Here's the, dif the differentiation, okay? In Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 16, this is a long section. In fact, let me go there. We're going to read the whole thing. 23, verse 16. This is how the Bible differentiates between true prophets and false prophets. Okay, this is one of the verses that are used. All right. Verse 16 says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, 
Do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you, filling you with vain hopes, right? Or, or empty words or vague statements, all right? They speak visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. They say continually to those who despise the word of the Lord, it shall be well with you. And to everyone stubbornly follows his own heart, they say, no disaster shall come upon you. They're very positive, the false prophets, all right? Let's go down to verse 23. Am I a God at hand, declares the Lord, and not a God away? Can a man hide himself in secret places that I cannot see him, declares the Lord? Do I, do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord? I have heard what the prophets have said who prophesy lies in my name, saying, I have dreamed, I have dreamed. How long shall there be lies in the heart of the prophets who prophesy lies and who prophesy the deceit of their own heart who think to make my people forget my name by their dreams that they tell another even as their fathers forgot my name for Baal. Notice the false prophet prophesies dreams, his own mind, his own heart, his own ideas. They all come from him. Verse 28, let the prophet who has a dream tell the dream, but let him who has my word speak my word faithfully. What has straw in common with wheat, declares the Lord. Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that break the rock in pieces? Therefore, behold, I am against prophets, declares the Lord, who steal my words from one another. Behold, I am against the prophets, declares the Lord, who use their tongue and declare, thus says the Lord. Before, behold, I am against prophets who prophesy lying dreams, declares the Lord, and who tell them, and lead my people astray by their lies. So the contrast between the false prophet and the biblical prophet is the biblical prophet prophesies and speaks God's word faithfully. Okay? He does not prophesy lies. He doesn't give vague statements. He's not a diviner. He's not a psychic. He's not an astrologer or whatever you want to call it. He is somebody who declares God's word faithfully. Okay? So, the question is, is this gift still in operation today? And the answer is yes and no. Yes and no. I'll explain what I mean by that. I'm going to give you sort of my position on this. In the Bible, in the scriptures, when you read Jeremiah, when you read Isaiah, when you read the prophets in the Bible, they are prophesying new revelations from God. Right? They're receiving from God the revelation and they're speaking it forward. This revelation can be anything from commands, it could be anything also future events, judgment that God is going to bring about. They are speaking forth God's word. They're giving the revelation. The difference is, in the times of the Bible, the revelation is still being given. The canon is still open. When Isaiah was speaking his revelation, he was actually speaking it into existence. Right? Nobody knew it before him. He was just giving it. 
right? So when the prophets in the Bible, the apostles were also prophets, when Jesus is speaking, he is giving new revelation at the time because the Bible was being written. The revelation is still being given. And so they were foretelling future events, not because they were seers or diviners, but because that was part of the revelation of God, okay? So in principle, that gift is still operating today. The prophet in the Old Testament and the Bible and during the apostles and after the apostles are all supposed to boldly and authoritatively declare God's word faithfully. The difference is they were receiving the revelation. We have the revelation. So in principle, it's still operative. The function is different. We have a completed, closed canon that nothing can be added to. So the, rev the prophet in the Bible is looking towards and declaring towards. The prophet today is looking back and declaring back because we have already the finished and complete revelation of God's word. All right. So the prophet is somebody who, man or a woman, who has been supernaturally given the ability to boldly, boldly and authoritatively speak God's word truth to power. That's the modern day prophet. Deuteronomy, if you go to Deuteronomy 18, I want to show you. I'm going to sort of prove my point. Deuteronomy 18 15, verse 15. This is Moses. Okay. Like 14. He says, For these nations which you are about to dispossess, listen to fortune tellers and to diviners. But as for you, the Lord your God has not allowed you to do this. Verse 15. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me. So Moses was a prophet. From among you, from your brothers, it is to him that you shall listen to. Okay? He tells them, the pagans listen to fortune tellers, diviners. People give them you vague ideas and predictions about what's going to happen in 2020 in Cuba. People like that. All right? Those are what the pagans do. But you, on the other hand, God has not allowed you to do this, but he will raise a prophet from among you. Verse 18. He repeats it again, and I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever would not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. So God and Moses tells his people that there shall come a day that God is going to raise up a prophet like me from among, your own, from among your brothers. And to him you will listen. Okay? Matthew 17, verse 1. Matthew 17, verse 1. Now remember, after Moses, you had Samuel, Elijah, Elijah. All these prophets were raised um, in the land of Israel. But 
we got something interesting in Matthew 17, verse 1. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, is it good that we are here? If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. To him you shall listen. Okay? You have Elijah the prophet, Moses the giver of the law. All right? You got the law and the prophets. Right? And Jesus is speaking with them and Peter is like, this is so cool. Let's build like three thrones or whatever here. One for you, one for you, one for you. And as he's saying that, a cloud comes out and he hears the voice of God saying, this, Jesus Christ, is my beloved son to whom, to him you shall listen to. Okay? Amen. Acts chapter 3, verse 19. This is the same man. Peter, who was there, is now preaching to the people of Israel. And he says, Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And that he may send the Christ appointed to you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him, whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaim these days, you are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your father, saying to Abraham, in your offspring, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, who is Jesus, sent him to you first to bless you by turning everyone from your wickedness. Peter identifies Jesus as the prophet that he was going to raise, who is the ultimate prophet to him we all listen to. He is the fulfillment of all this ministry or prophetic ministry is all encompassing Jesus Christ. All right. Hebrews chapter one, verse one. We keep reading this verse. He says long ago at many times and in many ways. What does that mean? Many times, different time periods in many ways. Some of them saw a vision. Some of them received the word audibly. Some of them looked to the sky. And saw, what is it, a, four, a beast with four heads and eyes all over. Some of them uh, had a dream. They fell asleep and they had a dream, okay? God spoke to our fathers in many times and many ways by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us 
by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. Jesus Christ is the ultimate prophet. Okay, he spoke to us. Interestingly, Jesus never wrote a book. He never wrote an epistle. He never wrote anything that we know. Yet the apostles received from Christ his word and they delivered forward and they wrote it down and kept it for us. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 1. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Jesus never wrote a book, but he gave the revelations to those who heard, mainly the apostles and the disciples. And then it says that God confirmed that revelation by giving signs and wonders, which he distributed in accordance to his will. So the miraculous gift's purpose was to attest the message of the apostles, which they received from Jesus. So God speaks to us to this day, okay, by his son and by the revelation that the apostles carried forward and wrote down for us in the scriptures, okay? And so the gift of prophecy in the scriptures, in the Bible, is the supernatural ability that God gives certain people to speak boldly and authoritatively God's word. In the Bible, they were receiving it and therefore calling out new things that nobody had ever heard. And even foretelling future events. All the future events they foretold happened because God carried them out. Daniel foretold the next 400 years of human history. And if you look at human history, you will see everything that Daniel wrote about happened exactly as Daniel prophesied it would happen. Some are so that secular historians are like, Daniel must have been written really late because you cannot write this here and predict all of this. So he must have written it here and then he looked back. We know better than that. Now the reason why is because Daniel was declaring what God had told him that God was going to do. And he carried it out. He was preaching and speaking God's word faithfully. We today, in the church, when Paul says, seek that you may prophesy, yes, he was writing in a time where this gift was still operating similarly. They were still receiving, Paul was writing a letter to them, right? They were receiving revelation. But once that revelation has been received and safeguarded for us, there's nothing new, quote unquote, for us to receive. Everything needs to be hearkened back to this word. And everything needs to be hearkened back to Scripture. Everything else that we may see or hear from so-called prophets that you don't see is a declaration of this word 
then we, we toss it out, right? When you see people doing these feelers, I mean, some of the stuff that you, I've been in churches where I see some of the stuff that is no different than you can see anywhere, you know, psychics or whatever, right? I mean, you can see all that. And there's ways to do that. There's natural explanations, right? I can go on Facebook and find out who your mama's name is, right? I can do all these things. But the prophet of God is going to speak forth God's word faithfully and boldly and authoritatively. He's going to declare it. These are the people in places like China who are being arrested for calling out their government. These are the people who are being persecuted and killed in the early church for refusing to call Caesar Lord and preaching to Caesar that Christ is Lord authoritatively from the scriptures and then getting hauled away to some place to be killed and tortured. These are the prophets of our day. These are the men who speak and women who speak boldly and authoritatively God's word. Now, and I think next time I'll probably get into it, there are experiences that happen with, it might have happened to you or different people where somebody may say something that was accurate, right, that you didn't tell them. I've heard testimonies, I was praying for this, and Sister Damaris came up to me and told me what I was praying for, how did she know, whatever, things like that. I'll get into a little bit of that next time. There is such a thing, I believe, such as intuition. Uh, somebody who is a prayer warrior, right? We got prayer warriors in the church. Somebody who is with the Lord, somebody who is in Scripture, may have certain spiritual insights, okay? I do not think that necessarily specifically qualifies as the gift of prophecy because from the scriptures, it's pretty clear what the gift of prophecy is. It's declaring God's word authoritatively. All right. Nevertheless, why is this important? When Paul tells the church at Corinth, the seek that you may prophesy, he's not necessarily telling individuals, okay, I need you to you know, try to get that gift of prophecy going, etc. It's a gift. You have it, you don't have it. But as a community, right, when the church gathers together, Paul gives instructions. When you guys gather together in the meeting, this is going to have to be the emphasis. I want you to communicate. I want you to speak forth God's word in a way that is understandable and intelligible so people can be built up. Now, in his day, he takes the principle and he applies it specifically to this particular church. They were running around speaking in languages and speaking in tongues and stuff like that. Okay, stop that. I want you to emphasize this. He's, he's taking the principle and apply it, applying it to them, right? It's sort of like when he tells women, don't speak, go and ask your husbands. Well, that's because in Corinth, the primary cult of worship was Aphrodite, and the priests were all women. And so women took like a preeminent, you know, predominant, whatever, uh, role in the priestly worship of this goddess. Well, when people get saved, they tend to bring things mm -hmm. that they should have left behind. And so apparently the women in Corinth were trying to run around, take over and whatever. And so Paul is like, tell your women to shut up, sit down, go ask your husbands at home. 
he's applying a principle, which we see in scripture, male leadership, to them, right? It doesn't mean a universally, if you're a woman, you come to church, you have to shut up by your head, okay? Maybe if you're running around church screaming, maybe you should probably shut up and go over there. See, it's the principle, he's applying it. Well, the same principle of communicating the Word of God understandably, though none of us or in most churches, you don't see a lot of stuff like it was happening in Corinth happening, but we also have to make sure that when we gather together, when we have our services, that we need to work everything around the emphasis of speaking God's Word in everything that we do. So this is, this is why, like, for example, in the Reformation in the 1600s was when you first, believe it or not, for a thousand years, and still to this day in the Catholic Church, in many places, when my mom was a, was a girl, she tells me we went to Mass, the Mass was in Latin. Like nobody had any idea what was being said during the Mass. Every, everything happened over there in Latin. People just sat down. They stirred up the floor. They stirred the ceiling, and they walked away. Okay? That was changed recently in the 1960s. They decided, okay, we can all have the Mass in the language of the people. All right? In, during the Reformation, there was almost no teaching in the church. And it was the Reformers, like Luther or whatever, who basically went took the Bible, and they just started reading through it and explaining it. This is the invention of preaching. I'll just read, okay, uh, chapter 19, when the Lord God cuts up the nations. Okay, this means that there were nations. That's how it all started. What they were doing is that they were bringing back to the church the centrality of God's Word being taught and explained and being declared. So it's the same principle applied differently to us today. When we gather together, this should be our centrality. If we're going to have children's church, well, that should be the centrality. If we're to have, I don't know, Sunday school, well, here's the centrality of that gathering. If we're going to have a, a home fellowship, okay, so this is going to be the emphasis. You see what I mean? We're applying the same principle to these different situations because Paul says what is important is prophesying. Declaring God's word, all right? That is the centrality and the importance of us as a church. And so, and I'm finishing. The gift of prophecy is the bold, authoritative declaration of God's revelation. If you lived in the old days and you didn't have it and you were declaring it new, that's what you did. But in our day, now that we have it and it's completed, that's what we still do, okay? We look to the word that has been reserved and preserved for us down to this day. That's prophecy, all right? Uh, next time I get a little bit into some of the practices of it, but for today, if you get anything out of this, is that prophecy is God's given ability to boldly, authoritatively declare God's word to a people, all right? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word that you have given us, that you have preserved for us right down to our day, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for your revelation that is complete, that is finished. And we pray, Lord, that you may help us 
be bold in our declaration of your word and that we always emphasize it in our gatherings and our groups, whatever we go on to do, whatever you call us to go on to do, Lord, that you may help us keep and maintain the declaration of your word boldly to wherever you send us and to whatever people you send our way. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Followers of the Way podcast. If you like more information about Followers of the Way Church, visit our Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash FOTW Church. Again, that's www.facebook.com forward slash FOTW Church. We trust and hope that you've enjoyed hearing God's word and how to apply it to our lives. Our podcast is updated weekly, so remember to follow us here at Followers of the Way.